Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kala Stutzer with the Kala Stutzer Show, and we're back at it again with another episode. And as I tell you guys every week, and I've yet to lie to you yet, truthfulness is the foundation of human virtues. And the reason I say that is because every Friday, I promise you I'm going to bring back another amazing guest, that I'm going to bring an amazing guest on, that we're going to have a good conversation. And I don't, I don't think I've lied to you yet. I don't think I've lied to you yet. So if I have, hold me to that later. Message me, email me, let me know, and my apologies extended. Outside of that, we're bringing another great guest onto the show, and today we have... Go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Vishal Adma. I'm a psychiatrist uh, living in Kansas City in Overland Park, Kansas, and I am um, happy, th- uh, Collins, for reaching out to me and uh, wanting to be uh, for me to be part of the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and Dr. Abma is the owner, operator, CEO, founder, hustler, hard worker <laughs> behind Integrated. There we go. I had to remember that. Integrated Psychiatric Consultants. Um, you guys have been in operation for over 20 years. Yes. Um, you know, Dr. Abman came here in 1993 from India. What part of India um, do you hail from? Where were you born? So it's in southern part of India. The city where I was born, brought up, is uh, called Hyderabad. It's in a southern state of India called Telangana. And uh, it is a city which is the fifth largest city in India. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, I'm, I'm familiar. I'm familiar. And pr- help us pronounce it one more time, H- the city. Hyderabad. Hyderabad. Yes. Awesome. Okay. And so... You know, if someone was to ask you to tell me something amazing about where you grew up, where you were born, what are maybe one or two amazing things that stand out to you from your time there before you come to the States? Like, what are some beautiful parts about the culture or maybe the food or the city or just some beautiful memories you have um, from your time there? So, again, uh, there's a lot of um, um, different uh, things uh, that one needs to know about Hyderabad, it is called City of Minarets. City Minarets. Okay, what does so that mean? So, yeah. in Hyderabad, there is a prominent uh, architectural structure called Char Minar. So, there is, uh, it's been there for over um, hundreds of years. And uh, there is um, a fort called Golconda Fort. And there is uh, um, a Buddha statue in the middle of the city which is uh, a lot of people flock around yeah, that yeah. Uh, space. And then there is a beautiful marble uh, temple called Birla Mandir. So there's just a lot of architectural stuff. Mm-hmm. The Nizam of Hyderabad uh, was very famous during 1940s because he was one of the richest men in the world oh. at that time. Okay. So there's a lot of historical prominence to Hyderabad. Uh, it had its own currency prior to independence. It had its own, uh, you know, king mm-hmm. of sort. They used to call they used to call himself Nizam, and it has a large museum with all of this historical facts wow. in that city. Wow, yeah, that sounds like some place that I need to visit sometime soon. I've been. My sister has visited. Uh, you know, where most people, a lot of it, people visit. But she's been to New Delhi quite a lot to visit. Um, there's a uh, temple there. I can't remember the name of it, but she visited that a lot uh, many times. And I've had many friends from 
all parts of India, and I've yet to go yet. So yeah. uh, in year 25 right now, India is probably not in the books, but maybe year 26, ladies and gentlemen, hold me to it, and we're going to ask Dr. Abma for some advice on what sure. we should do when we go. Sure. Um, yeah, and oh, yeah. go recently, ahead. UNESCO has um, said Hyderabad is the foodie city of India. So lots of uh, different types of restaurants and that makes me happy. types of food. <laughs> so if you decide to go to India, Hyderabad is a place That's you certainly want to visit. I love that. I love that. And I don't quite want to leave um, that yet. And so I want to ask you a follow-up question. Growing up, what was like, what's the main economy there? Like what, what is it, agriculture? Like what's bringing in the majority of the money to that specific city, that specific state, that specific part of India? Is there a lot of agriculture? Is it primarily industry? Like talk a little bit about what you saw, you know, growing up. You're, you're 10, 9 years old. You're going around. What are people, what are your family members, what are people doing for work? Yeah. So Hyderabad um, um, certainly has been um, an information technology hub in India for many, many years, many decades now. So um, Hyderabad is very well known today uh, as the uh, second largest hub of information technology in the entire India. Wow. Um, so Bangalore is number one city and the number two is Hyderabad. So you see even in United States today, a lot of people who were born, brought up in Hyderabad come to U.S. and their background is in the area of information technology. This was decades in making. So I certainly saw that um, process started even when I was young. But apart from that, there's a lot of industries uh, uh, whether it be um, various chemical industry. My dad was uh, um, having an owner of a chemical industry back in Hyderabad at that time when I was growing up. So I grew up around various types of industries in Hyderabad. I love it. I love it. And so we're already discussing childhood, and you just mentioned your father. So what are some you know, characteristics that you feel like you picked up from your parents? What are some characteristics that you really admire when you think about your childhood? You're like, man, I really loved that about my parents or my uncle or my siblings, if you have any. Please share a little bit about your childhood and what were some early inspirations? Who were some early inspirations for you? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. So, you know, I come from a um, culturally very rich um, background. So there's a lot of uh, family unity I grew up in a what we call as a joint family. So my dad and his brothers um, and his brother's family, we all grew up in one house oh, wow, together. I so I had my cousins when I was growing up around me. So every day my mom would cook for 20 people because wow. there were lots of people yes. in the house. So we were all very close-knit, tight as we were growing up uh, and uh, with just a lot of love around mm. us. So we certainly grew up in that environment. We grew up in a business families. My dad, as I said, had a chemical industry. So my uncles were part of uh, that uh, industry also. Mm -hmm. So it just was, we were very close-knit if there was any, um, you know, get-together gathering uh, for our family. There were like 100 people. 
Wow. Showing up wow. because we wanted to celebrate those occasions. I so. love that. So that was, you know, I, lots of good memories. That makes me that. so happy. That makes me so happy. I, as you saw, a smile just naturally came on my face. When I, you know, when I think about family and then the differences between cultures, especially in the Western side of the world, like there's so much like this pressure to like be moving out of the house as soon as you turn, you know, 17 or you can or kids are trying to rush off to college or, you know, get out of the household or they want to be away from home as long as possible or yeah. parents aren't wanting to come back home because they're stressed with the kids. And I understand in some ways, right? But I love when I go back to Tanzania or when I hear from some of my friends from other countries across the world, like the the family-rich culture of being around so many people is mm-hmm. so powerful. And so, you know, at as you think back to your childhood and you think about being around so many people, what are some qualities you picked up from, you know, family members or just being in that in that place that you've carried on with you into business, um, entrepreneurship and just being, you know, medicine and just being successful and where you're at today or from my from my perspective, successful. We'll talk about your opinion of success later. Um, but, yeah, like what are some qualities yeah. that you picked up that have been super helpful, you know, as a, as a grown adult? So again, I um, I call myself the chief entertainment officer for my company, <laughs> CEO. I call it as my chief entertainment officer. So uh, one of the uh, mantras for me as I deal with a lot of my staff members uh, is I call IPC or Integrated Psychiatric Consultants as IPC family. Mm. So the family values that I grew up with as a child back home in India, when I look at how that translates into my current life and the people around me and what I bring to the table, you know, every staff member I interact with, I would like uh, to interact as if they're part of my family. So that, that certainly resonates in me. And it's just not me, but when I when my staff uh, interview new people that are being hired into our uh, uh, practice, they say, welcome to IPC family. I love it. I love it. I love that. And I love that it comes from a genuine place. You know, sometimes when we talk about business culture, it's not really natural. They're forcing culture. They're like, okay, what does culture mean? And they're writing on a board and they're like, "Uh, okay, this principle, this quality, okay, how can we instill that? But when it comes from a place of home, family, true, like your identity, you identify as this culture and uh, these behaviors and these qualities, and you learn how to transact like with that energy, it's, it's powerful. So I'm sure this is a pretty awesome family here. And as a businessman, you know, when you do that genuinely, what I saw uh, is we've got 95% staff retention rate in our company. Wow, wow. There's a reason why once they join, once they see the culture, once they feel like they're part of the family, they want to be part of the family. Yes. Too. So yes. That, that, you know, that's a positive thing for the mm-hmm. business too. 100%. I love that. Key business principle. So y'all remember what he just said right there. I love that. And so, you know, you went to medical school while you were in India, is that correct? Correct. And then you moved here in 1993, correct? So correct. Let, let's let's talk about that time period. So once you finish secondary school, um, and I have a quick question just for my personal interest. What do you guys call high school, like your high school? So in Tanzania, we say form one, form two, form three, when you're like going through your grades. They're not like first grade, second grade, senior year. They're not saying that. It's like, oh, I'm form nine or form 12. So if like... Is that similar in India, or what do you guys call it? Say, like, 
when you're a freshman in high school, is yeah. it the same so thing? So in India, they call it as first class, second class, mm. third class, until 10th class. Okay. So until 10th grade, instead of grade, they call it class. And then um, for the 11th and 12th grade, they call it intermediate. 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 Okay. So 11th and 12th grade are called intermediate because that is the um, time where you are intermediate, meaning the high school is ends in 10th grade mm -hmm. in India. And then you have the intermediate, which is 11th and 12th. And then you have the college. Okay, that makes sense. So I like high that. school until 10th class, intermediate 11th and 12th class, and then the college. Okay, so let's think about 9th and 10th class. And So think back to the age you were. Think back to that, that life period in your head. What were you interested in? Where did you think you were going to go once you finished intermediary and decided to go into college? Where did it... What was the direction? Were you like, I'm going to be a professional athlete? Were you like, I are you? Were you already set on medicine? Were you thinking about the chemical industry? Yeah. Talk about that that time period and what you were thinking you were. Gonna so I was always interested in uh, sciences. I did not like math, so I always thought that you know science is the major that I would want to uh, study. My dad's younger brother, who's my uncle, um, was a physician. And he was practicing in UK. Mm -hmm. So I thought that uh, I wanted to follow his footsteps and go into medical school. So for that, so I knew in 10th class that I would uh, take sciences as my subject and then uh, focus on that from 11th and 12th class. And then there's a test that you need to pass after that. And then if you pass it, if you get good score, then you're in medical school. Mm -hmm. So that's the path I wanted to choose, and luckily everything worked out, and I did. Amazing, amazing. And so you go into medical school. Let's talk about some of the challenges. I know, you know, here in the States, my uh, two, two of my best friends, but one in particular took went the six-year med program at UMKC, and I just remember watching him struggle. So many cre uh, credit hours, so much studying, mm -hmm. and then, you know, as you progress, then you start going into the hospitals and, you know, doing work in the hospitals and doing your schoolwork. There's the stress of balancing social life and studies like so talk about that experience for you. Were you able to enjoy your social life as, you know, an early teen or a late teen and 20s? And, you know, outside of that, was, was social life even important to you? Were you more focused just school, school? Just talk about that life period yeah. and how some of the challenges. So one of the things I'm blessed with um, in life is friends. So uh, I can go back uh, even back to my high school years and I still have good friends even today. So I still have uh, contact with them. In fact, um, we just did a two-week Europe trip with my family and my five uh, high school wow. friends, families, wow. uh, just uh, during summer, I this summer. So I've just uh, been very fortunate to maintain contact with them throughout the years. Um, so I had, you know, that going for me along with that, when I went to medical school, I formed very close relationships uh, with my friends. Uh, uh, there were about 10 of us mm -hmm. of those uh, close uh, uh, friends, about six of us are here in the United States wow. and we still 
maintain in contact, contact and all that it. stuff. So it's, it's just uh, very blessed that uh, it was a very positive experience and continues to be that. That's beautiful. I love that. I think a lot of people listening right now, especially some of the younger audience, are kind of worried about like, ah, oh, am I going to be able to, am I still going to be friends with these people? Or I know like, you know, like I said, my, my best friend, you know, he's now doing residency in New Orleans, away from Kansas City, away from where he's from. So losing contact with certain friends, maintaining contact with other friends in residency across the country and the yeah. challenges with that. And you went halfway across the world. So that, I'm, I'm super happy to hear that you're, you were able to maintain those friendships. So let's talk about that transition to the USA in 1993. Why did you make that uh, decision? And what was the state of the USA at that time? Like what was going on? What were some of the things you were like excited about coming here? And what are some of the things where you were like, ooh, I didn't know this was what it was going to be like? Yeah. So I was the first in my family to come to U.S. I did not know anybody here. Wow. I did not have any family here. And um, I came to Edmond, Oklahoma <laughs> to study my master's course in nutrition and food management at uh, University of Central Oklahoma. So luckily, I had a friend of a friend who was studying at the university, who was able to come to the airport, pick me up, take him, take me to the apartment, and then uh, give me shelter for a few days until I could figure things out. So it, it all worked out, but, uh, um, you know, it took several months uh, for me to kind of get used to this new area, new country, new people, new systems and all. Uh, but um, I am um, very happy that um, I went through all of those experiences. It only made me a better person today. Yes, I love that. So 1993 is just over 25 years ago. And, you know, based on my research, you've been um, running and operating your company, IPC, for a little over 20 years. So when did the idea to go into entrepreneurship arise? When did that motivation, that desire to, to build something, especially in the medical space, in the, in the you know, healthcare space, challenging space, um, when did that arise? And, and talk about the early beginnings of IPC um, and share a little bit about the company as well, as I know we haven't jumped into that quite yet. Yeah. So as I said, my father was a businessman. I grew up with, uh, you know, in the family of uh, business people. So when I came to this country and finished my residency training, by the way, I went to University of Kansas to do my residency nice. training. I always felt like I wanted to be my own boss. Mm. I always felt like I needed to uh, be more creative. I need to be able to, you know, provide, um, find ways to uh, deliver better care, so yeah. to speak. So with that in mindset, it was a very humble beginning. I started off uh, um, as a solo person practice. Mm -hmm. And then I knew that um, as time went along, uh, I am going to find ways to grow the practice, which I did uh, over the past 20 years. So um, I think uh, what we have created over the last 20 years is a company which has over 50 psychiatric providers working wow. under one umbrella, wow. uh, over 15 administrative staff providing um, uh, ability for us to continue to grow as well as manage what we have. 
um, again, unique experience where if you are a psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse practitioner wanting to work in this space, in the behavioral space, we will give you an a la carte of options for you to work, which means that you get to pick and choose if you want to work in a clinic environment, hospital environment, uh, work with children or adults or geriatrics, or work in a residential program or work from home by doing telepsychiatry. So we are one very different uh, company which has ability for creating, being very creative to our psychiatric providers. At the same time, when you look at organizations that we work with, we're very unique because we provide them with solutions. We go to the CEOs and say, okay, how can we help solve your problems? Mm -hmm. That's how it starts. And then they list of, they give us a list of all of those challenges that they're dealing with and we come up with solutions. I love that. And that is the reason why over the last 20 years, if you look at our track record, 97% retention rate by our clients. Once a hospital system signs up with our group, they say, this is amazing. So they don't have to have any headaches of hiring psychiatrists, disciplining them, managing them, supervising them, none of that. So we take care of all of those headaches. So that helps us continue to keep growing. I love that. And so we're going to dive a little bit, you know, deeper into the business. So when you when you say you go and talk to these hospitals or CEOs about their problems and then provide the solutions, um, that just begs the question, how do you, I guess, initiate that conversation? Or if they're coming to you, what have you guys done on the marketing aspect? So two-sided question. Um, for people or hospital organization CEOs who are coming to you guys, how have you guys built that, um, I guess, lead generation flow? How are you guys getting people in the door? And then on the flip side of that, if you're not doing that, how are you guys reaching out and getting in contact with potential customers? Sure. So initially, in the initial phase of the company, um, you know, people were reaching out to me directly just because of my name mm -hmm. in the community. Now, the company is at a much different place where we are growing. We are seeing at least 30 to 40% growth every year, year on year. So with that kind of a growth, now we have systems in place where we have a, a, a business development team mm -hmm. uh, with experienced people who are, uh, you know, who have a variety of tools to get that lead generation, to have those meetings with the CEOs uh, of the hospital systems or the clinics, and then we have a conversation with them. And once we tell our story to them, they are just amazed of what we can bring to the table, and they say, when can I sign up? I love it. I love it. And are you guys working with primarily Kansas City-based individuals and organizations, or is it cross-country, or is it the Midwest region? Talk a little bit about who your guys' I guess, target audience would sure. be. So all these years, we're primarily based in Kansas and Missouri, but over the last one to two years, we have um, started having a plan to grow outside of Kansas and Missouri. So in the last six months, We've expanded into Illinois, and then we just got a contract in place to expand into Florida. Nice. So this morning, we got a call to see if we would be interested in expanding to Idaho and then into Alaska. Alaska? 
Now that's a far ways away. I love it. I love it. And so, you know, with those uh, expansion plans in place, how do you guys maintain, you know, I always wonder how people who interact or do business with people from across the country or across the world maintain solid relationships with their customers. Is it um, frequent calls? Is it frequent flights out there to visit them and consult and have conversations and maintain that relationship? Um, What does that look like in terms of the um, caretaking of a relationship you have with the business? Yeah, good question. And that's important. We feel that, uh, and we do that proactively. So um, I think the Zoom calls help Mm -hmm. in today's world. Uh, In the past, we used to, I used to do a lot of visits to St. Louis Mm -hmm. and Columbia and other places. So it depends on the client. So uh, most of these visits uh, nowadays are through Zoom calls, but we do have people who are in the business development uh, team who do make make visits in person. Got you. And so you mentioned Zoom. So, you know, it, it, you know, unfortunately it makes me bring up the conversation of COVID in 2019 and 2020. So, you know, as much as it might be an annoying question, what were some challenges um, that that came up during that time period? Specifically, um, I don't even actually want to ask about challenge. What were some opportunities that arose? What were some things that you noticed like, wow, this really shows a wound that we have or an area that we need to focus on and double in on that we didn't know about until COVID came? Were, Were there any opportunities that you learned about during that time period? Right. Good question also. So our company is unique in the sense that about a decade ago, not just two years ago, about a decade ago, we ventured into use of telepsychiatry into rural Kansas. Mm. And um, I was fortunate to work with organizations who believed in telepsychiatry and delivering the um, um, treatments through to rural Kansans. Uh, by using that modality. So all along, our practice was used to seeing that. What COVID did is it accelerated that growth Mm -hmm. even further. So where um, it was much more easier to convince some of the organizations, hospital systems, the CEOs to say, who would say, no, I don't want a doctor on the televideo uh, or Zoom, I wanted to doctor in person. I, I always focused on I want a qu- I would like to provide you with a quality doctor, whether it be a doctor who wants to live in Florida but provide services in Kansas, or versus a Kansas doctor who is not as qu- higher quality. Mm-hmm. So I always focused on quality and try to convince them. But COVID made it easier for us. So it certainly brought that out but i think one other thing is covid also caused a lot of distress in uh, emotional distress in a lot yeah. of people and families because you know some of the um, things people had to go through with with this uh, has been an extremely difficult time in their lives so it opened up new opportunities for our company because we are in the mental health field Um, to provide that support and all that stuff. I have done a variety of uh, talks to people in the community. I was the chairman of the board for Asian Chamber during that time. So we did a free seminar to the community members, businesses, uh, of how do you support yourself and your people in the business um, during this 
hard times of COVID. Absolutely. And and everything you just shared there brought up quite a few questions I have. So I'll, I'll focus on one. One being, um, to stay on the business side of it for just a few more moments, um, telemedicine, what, what are companies or hospitals or doctors, normal, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like, why do they, why did they not in the past want to do telecare? Like what was, what was their holdback? Was it, did they think that you couldn't build a genuine connection with the patient during that because you're not face to face? Was it like, what, what were people like? No, we don't want to do this. Why? So two reasons. Number one, they've never done it before. So they were kind of apprehensive about why do I do something that I've never done before? Yeah. So that's one. Number two, they thought that the insurance companies would not pay for that service. Mm. So they were also apprehensive about would the insurance company pay or not. COVID changed that all. Insurance companies were more than willing to pay for that level of service. And um, the CEOs were uh, not getting people to work, be able to hire them in person, so they're now more willing to do the telling. That makes sense. That makes sense. And again, some of the things you shared made a whole bunch of questions pop up. So a follow-up question again is, um, you mentioned quality doctors. So when you're thinking about quality care, um, when you're thinking about a doctor or a physician, what are some key characteristics, key traits, uh, maybe some things you see in their background or resume or things like that that kind of let you know that this is this is a this is a quality doctor. Like this is going to be a good person we want to work with or we want to bring on or this person is going to provide good care. How do you identify that um, as a business owner? Um, because I always think about you know for me it's like how do I know this person I'm about to go to is good or not, right? And you kind of rely patients rely on the company to vet. The, the 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 caretakers the physicians that they're going to come to so i guess how do you guys look at that how do you analyze it great question also so our vetting process includes number one we have a full-time physician recruiter who interviews the uh, um, the physician or the nurse practitioner uh, with a standard list of questions so in their mind they are looking at okay where did they go to school how many years of experience and so on and so forth. And then obviously there's some uh, references, so on and so yeah. forth, okay? And then we also have our uh, chief operations officer interview the doctor. So from his standpoint, because he knows the client's requirements, then he will be looking at, you know, if that um, doctor is able to fulfill the client's requirement, mm -hmm. whether it's a clinic or a hospital and so on and so forth. And then in the interview process, if it is a nurse practitioner, we have a director of quality uh, who is also a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She's involved in, in uh, looking at that candidate to make sure that they are clinically sound, i.e. they know the medications, they are able to uh, talk about the diagnosis and their experiences and so on and so forth. And then I usually get involved from the physician standpoint. So we are vetting the candidate not just of, hey, are you available? Are you able to do this job? But also how sound you are clinically by being able to ask some critical thinking questions as well as we make sure that it is the right fit for that client. So when we do all of that, that helps with 
number one, their satisfaction, the the psychiatry satisfaction as well as the client satisfaction. The hospital will be satisfied that these guys have looked at it from all of these before they get them for the interview. Absolutely. That makes sense. Thank you for sharing. Um, so I want to ask you, what, in your opinion, is your greatest accomplishment? You know, to me, you've done a lot of great things already just through this conversation, through my research, medical school, you know, transitioning to a new country. I, I believe you're a married individual as well. So yes. marriage, that's a challenge, but also a great accomplishment as well. You know, um, you know, obviously you've built something great here over the past 20 years, and I'm sure you've had a lot of people come in that have built themselves up in their career and then left. And I know that feels good for a lot of you know, people who run operations, they're able to bring somebody in, provide some good energy, some experiences, and that person now leaves and goes and becomes something great and provides a service elsewhere. So there's so many, I'm sure, opportunities you've had to do something great and already have. So what is your opinion on what your greatest accomplishment has been in the past, you know, 40 years? So my greatest accomplishment, I look at it professionally, mm -hmm. is um, that uh, I have uh, created a company that I know will um, uh, um, you know continue to keep growing mm -hmm. as well as will have people who truly believe in this mission of what we are trying to do to help various behavioral health organizations. So as long as you know the staff in my company feel proud of what we have created and what we continue to do, create, then I've accomplished my goal. So I, I feel very satisfied about that. Obviously, personally, you know, uh, my wife is a psychiatrist. I have two kids, a daughter who is 18 years old, who is uh, going to wash you this year to go to college in St. Louis. Very proud of her. And then I've got a 13-year-old. Um, He's turning 14 tomorrow. Uh, high school. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, he's going to high school uh, this year. Uh, so very proud of my kids and what they're doing. So. Absolutely. And so, you know, running an operation like this, I'm sure there's there's a lot of a lot of time that's necessary to allocate to what you do in order to create an awesome business. So how have you been able to manage, you know, running a business with maintaining, you know, a healthy family life and also having fun? You know, you mentioned you had the opportunity to do the two week vacation with your friends they grew up with and uh, you know that's a solid time that's a, that's a, i'm sure you had so much fun but how have you over the years been able to have some fun allocate time and love to your family and build such a business that's grown at 40 percent year over year yeah so i um feel that i cannot do it all myself so i pick team members and then put them on the right seat on the bus mm. So I look at this as, especially when it comes to business and running the business, my goal is to pick the right person and put them in the right seat on the bus. And the bus will keep going. Mm. So that's my attitude, and that helps me take a step back and not get too involved in the day-to-day -day activities. And, and then um, the team also believes in the same mission and the vision and the values and all that stuff. So that's how then I can step back and enjoy my life and, yeah. you know, check out for a couple of weeks and go and have fun with my friends. Absolutely. I love that. 
And so I want to step into the advice portion of this conversation where we kind of ask a few questions that maybe will, will help some of our audience. So say there is a young person out there, and young is relative. It could be 33, it could be 18, whatever. But there's a young person out there, and they're trying to figure out how to you know, structure their life in a way that they feel like they'll be on a, on a path towards success in their mind, whatever that might be. So when you think back to you being 17, 18 years old, you know, and then you think about where we are in the world right now, social media, um, the different ty- types of uh, access we have to technology and media and, and leverage, things of that nature. What would you do? 2022, you're 18, you want to, you know, let's keep it a surface level. You want to make a million dollars. You know what I'm saying? What would you do? Uh, number one, I want to understand my strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and then have a plan in place, have a vision or uh, thoughts to say, what can I do to excel in the, using the strengths I have? Yeah. And that's, that's all I have done all my life, to be able to say, what are my strengths, what are my interests, and then what can I do to focus on those strengths and then uh, uh, keep this going. And, and it doesn't happen in a day or a week or a month or a year. It takes years of doing that. And once you do that, what happens then is you start getting results. Mm-hmm. And then you say, you know what? If I keep doing it in this fashion, I am able to get better results. And then once you know that it takes after years, you know the secret formula, then all you need to do is do more of it. Mm -hmm. Consistency. Showing up every day. I love that. And, you know, when you think back to your parents, what's like the best piece of advice that your father or your mother ever gave you that you've kind of held on to all your life? I think one thing my dad said is once uh, you decide to do something, um, I would like for you to finish the job. Mm. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people succeed, people fail, but I want you to finish it. And then if it doesn't work out, that's okay, but I don't want you to believe in the middle. Mm. So, so I've always uh, tried to take that advice and then, uh, you know, uh, there was a point point of time because I was the first in my, in my family to come to U.S. Um, it went it was really tough times during those times for me to get through the you know college here, residency training and all. Right, it was so easy for me to back in India. Right, um, so there was one day I called my dad and I said, Dad, I think I want to come back home. And Dad said. Uh, I think you get, you went there to finish a task. I want you to finish it. And that still rings in my brain to say, yes, that's that's the day I decided, you know what? I cannot leave anything in the middle. I have to finish it. So that uh, really got me to where I am today. I love that. I love that. And, you know, last but not least, I want to make sure we touch on some of the things that you do outside of the business. So what are some maybe community activities or um, things that you're interested in or hobbies you have or ways that you are interacting with the world outside of IPC? What else are you doing on your day-to-day basis? Yeah. <clears throat> so I um, 
I serve at our temple. We am the chairman of the board for the fellow members at our Hindu temple here in Kansas City. Um, I uh, was the chairman of the board for the Asian Chamber of Commerce here in Overland Park. I have served on some of the community boards, the Goodwill of uh, Kansas City. I was on the board there. I was on the board of a small not-for-profit organization called Keys for Networking in Topeka. Um, so I help out on a variety of uh, different volunteer tasks um, that me or my family sign up for. I enjoy doing that. I play tennis. So go. my son plays tennis, so sometimes we go and uh, play together. Are you still winning? Oh, he he, <laughs> I, he started beating me because uh, you know, he plays oh, yeah. more regularly than oh, me. Yeah. So he started he started catching up. Catching he was up, like, "Yeah, dad." Up. I used to beat him, but not anymore. <laughs> uh, ping pong at home with my son. I love it. Uh, uh, I used to beat him. Now he beats me up. So, <laughs> so uh, humbling so, moments. Yeah. Humbling moments. We play as a family. We play card games, I different love it. card games. Yes, yes. So that's our. Um, evening, uh, you know, relaxation stuff that we do. I love to uh, drink scotch with my friends, so yeah. I enjoy doing that. So lots of fun stuff. I, I love, love to it. travel. So, All right. So out of all the places you've traveled, what's the number one place you're going to tell the audience today that they need to book a ticket for? I would uh, go for Bahamas. It's easy destination. Uh, cruising to Bahamas. I always uh, remember my first trip outside of U.S. Uh, was to Bahamas. I love it. I, I love still it. remember that. And you're like, all right, that that holds true in your heart from here on. I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Adam, I really appreciate your time today. We will finalize this conversation with a few final questions, but I do want to make sure that I say thank you for your time, your energy, um, for sharing some of your life story with the audience and with me um, you didn't have to do that, but you did. So I just want to say thank you. I acknowledge your hard work past 20 plus years of IPC, and I look forward to see where you're taking it moving forward. Um, 20 years from now, are you retired from IPC? Do you think? I hope so. <laughs> All right. So retire from IPC. What are, what are you going to do in your retirement? What are some other things you want to do? Is there, is there any other, maybe, you know, super big trips you'd like to go on? Is there maybe some other professional stuff that you'd like to do even when you're retired? Just share a few tidbits about what you plan on doing once you transition from IPC. So um, traveling is always um, something that I enjoy, so I'll continue to do that. Um, I think there are so many places, beautiful places around the world one can go to, and obviously time is of essence, so... Uh, we only have so much time in, in our lives, so whatever I can do to squeeze some of those travels in, I would love to do that. But apart from that, I think uh, volunteering uh, is something that uh, I would love to continue to do. Um, I really think that um, uh, this country, this community, this city gave me so much. So it's always uh, in my deep in my heart that I need to do something, give something back, do something for people in the community and so on and so forth. So as those opportunities come about, uh, I want to be able to do that. I love it. I love it. So it's your last day on earth. You're 150 years old. Your kids have had kids. Your kids' kids have had kids. And your great-great-grandparents are sitting right... Great-great-grandkids <laughs> are sitting right at your feet. And they're like, 
great-great-great-grandpa, what's one piece of advice on how to live life? What are you going to tell him? Don't worry. Be happy. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Abma of IPC here in Overland Park with the Kansas City area, as you heard, hitting other states, Kansas, Florida. So keep your eye out. And if you're in this world, get in contact with him. We'll have more information about how you can contact, work with them at the bottom in the bio of this video, of this podcast. Again, thank you guys for listening so much. Kala Stutzer, Dr. Abma, have a great day. And um, oh, yeah. all the audience, thank you so much, Carlos. What a wonderful show. I enjoyed being part of this show. And um, thank you, audience, for taking time to watch this. Absolutely. Thank you, guys.